Welcome to Week 7 NFL Action. This is the Regulators Podcast. I am your host, Waldo, and the doctor is in today. That's right, this is a wellness check. Is everybody out there okay? My God, NFL Twitter is currently tearing each other apart. And interestingly enough, it's not opponent Twitter. This is fan-on-fan violence. On every team that I look at who took an L this week across the Twitterverse, I have seen it from damn near every team, and it's really disturbing. Um, As I may have mentioned before, I think some of you don't really deserve football. Let's start with Twitter. Listen, I get it. Everyone is a couch GM slash coach who would have done everything better, but it's easy to second-guess and claim that you are smarter than the collective brain trust of a billion-dollar organization. And don't get me wrong, on certain days, you are. There are definitely days where Penelope, who runs her own hair salon, would have made a far better decision on fourth down than an NFL organization. There are definitely days where Brad and Sheboygan could have taken a day off from his dental practice and made better decisions for an organization than the current leadership team. But those instances are one out of 1,000, and it's easy when you don't have millions of people watching every word you say and keeping the receipts. In any event, it is perfectly acceptable to disagree with play calling, roster moves, management decisions. That's a huge part of a spectator sport. And passion is always key. But make your commentary with the understanding that it is entertainment and that you are not the owner of an NFL team. If you were, I guarantee you, you probably wouldn't fill your timeline with so many F-bomb lace tirades. Or maybe I'm completely wrong and you would. And after every game, you would end up firing half the staff, changing the entire playbook, Maybe you really would, but I just, I doubt it. Just like I doubt the crowds of people who can be seen flicking off Aaron Rodgers, giving him the double birds at a football game, would ever do that to his face in any other social situation. Almost as much as I doubt that the piece of shit who decided to send a racist and disgusting tirade DM to Emmanuel Ogba, full of hard R's, after last week's game, would ever say that to his face, let alone another human being's face. Fortunately for that specific young man, who I won't dox on my podcast, the internet has quickly made him famous, and he will now forever understand the meaning of his actions. But we do have a serious problem in this world, where our passions carry us beyond the realm of common sense and create a space where people think it is okay to curse at, belittle, and bully players, staff, and even fans. It's not funny when you scream dehumanizing things at players from the front row. It's not cool when you attack others online with vitriol that goes beyond typical sports banter. If you haven't seen the documentary of Malice at the Palace, I implore you to. The relationship between fans and their sports teams is a very complex one. However, like any relationship, it should be based on mutual respect. I pity those who do not know how to function in a normal society 
they are missing out on a great world of joy and reciprocity. One of the ways you know this is when after the game, the opposing team gets together after the game to embrace, talk, pray, and smile with each other while you choose to go to the parking lot and assault someone after you've had one too many. If you can't handle the cards you've been dealt in life, and you cannot be the bare minimum of civil in society, do us all a favor, stop coming to games, delete your social media. You're having a tough time in life does not entitle you to be a piece of shit to everyone. If you are struggling with mental health, there are options out there. I am not a mental health professional, but my DMs are always open 24-7, and if you just want to tell me your dog died, your job sucks, your team sucks, or you feel lonely, you can drop by any time, and I will try to do what little I can to help. If, however, you are content to be a miserable son of a bitch the rest of your life and seem hell-bent on making the rest of us be miserable, do us all a favor, stay home, nobody likes you. But enough of that, let's get into week seven. What will happen first? Will the Lions win a game or will the Cardinals lose one? So far, you guys are saying that the Cardinals L is going to be the first thing to happen. Go vote on Twitter. We have it up on our Twitter page. You can always follow us on Twitter, at RegulatorsPod. We always appreciate the banter. Now, let's talk about the teams that have bye weeks this week. Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Minnesota, Jacksonville, and the Chargers. Buffalo, you know, they're 4-2, and two, obviously having a tough loss to Tennessee. I do support the 4th and 1 call. I know there were a lot of people that questioned it, and it's it's fine to question it. Again, it's subjectivity. It's, it's what this spectator sport is all about. But if you look at the data, Josh Allen was 23 of 24 going into this year at either 3rd and 1s or 4th and 1s, and he was perfect this year on 4th and 1s. So it's easy to second guess, but you look at a team who was converting that at a ridiculous clip, and they had a chance to put the game away in a situation where they couldn't stop the Tennessee offense, especially Derrick Henry, and it felt like a good move. Obviously, sometimes big risk is, you know, big letdown. So that's what happened. But the Bills still have the highest scoring percentage offense in the NFL. There's lots to build on, and we may even see a rematch between these two teams two teams in the playoff. So I thought it was a hell of a game, but obviously the Bills didn't get the result that they wanted to. The Pittsburgh Steelers are sitting at 500. They're 3-3. Three and three, And man, that defensive line just will almost always keep uh, Pittsburgh in games. You've got Watt, who's got the second most sacks in the NFL. Meanwhile, he's played a game less than everybody else at the top of that list. Um, Highsmith and all, all of those guys really just like they continue to get after the quarterback and just really wreak havoc the one thing that Pittsburgh really has to work on is obviously consistency on the offensive side of the ball they still have the fourth worst rushing offense in the NFL Najee obviously has been better the past couple weeks and there's something building there um, but that's something you know they'll have to look forward to after the bye Dallas Cowboys are sitting at five and one Great win in New England against the refs. Um, Diggs is scary good. We keep telling people, just don't throw at him. He got another pick. Like, seven picks in six games. It's just, why are you still throwing anywhere near this man? I I don't know. Um, Yeah, 
teams continue to do it. But let's talk about Dak Prescott. 445 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. The offense as a whole had 567 yards of offense in that game against a Bill Belichick coach defense. That's something to tip your hat to. I, I know that New England isn't as great as they have been in the past, but that's that's still very, very impressive, and Dallas is going places this year. Um, a team that's probably not going anywhere fast is the Minnesota Vikings. So they're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. The defense, you know, again, they let the Panthers back into a game that they had already had won. They let them get the two-point conversions. You know, it's just like they almost gave that game away. Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook balled. Cook had 140 yards. Thielen, 126. Obviously, Patrick Peterson getting hurt isn't going to do anything to make that defense better. But I think, unfortunately, that defense is going to be the downfall of the team this year uh, with a lot of talent, and it's probably going to cost Zim his job. Someone who I think doesn't have to worry about his job just yet, and especially after his first win, is Urban Meyer. So Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence both get their first wins um, as members of the Jaguars. In London against Miami, you've got a kicker who was signed off the practice squad and then nails 250-plus kicks to get that win um, and the first one of the season for the Jaguars. The Jags lead the league in rushing efficiency. We talked about it on the last show. James Robinson is really starting to find his groove. 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, The team is, which is, like I said, first in the NFL. So I don't see them going anywhere far this year, but you're looking for things that obviously they can build on for the future. The LA Chargers, they're building on a lot, but they unfortunately got embarrassed by the Ravens. They're 4-2 heading into the bye, and Justin Herbert looked human. 195 yards, one touchdown, one interception. They're obviously still a very good football team, so nobody's selling them down the river just yet, but they're going to have to regroup coming out of the bye and try to uh, still make a run towards that top position in the AFC. And then, you know, we start the week off this week with Thursday Night Football, Denver Broncos, and Cleveland Browns. So two teams that are both sitting at 3-3. In this one, the Browns are favored by 3.5 points. This was originally a 5-point spread, but obviously it's continuing to move, most of that due to the fact that The Browns are scrambling to get a healthy running back that can actually take the field. But let's start with Denver. So last week, man, Teddy hurt me in my Teddy Truther heart. Three interceptions and a fumble, and I know. Listen, he threw for 334 yards, three touchdowns. We got to talk about the good as well as the bad, but that's just very uncharacteristic for uh, somebody who is, you know, the third most accurate passer in NFL history. So, you know, ho- hopefully that's just a one-off. Hopefully that's a that's a uh, outlier game, and he can get over those hurdles this week and, and try to get more back to form. I think that, you know, having the worst third down offense in the league is also a bugaboo with the Broncos. That's something that they've got to find ways to stay on the field on third down. This week, they are very lucky that they don't have to face um, Chubb or Hunt, and that should be an easier task for the Denver Broncos defense, who's going to try to make Baker Mayfield put it on his shoulders. I would love to see the ground game get going for Denver. I'm actually very on the 
line about flexing Melvin Gordon and myself in one of my leagues. I'm kind of in a pinch with all the injuries that have stacked up. Um, so I think I may be sticking Melvin Gordon in. If you don't have a lot of options, one of those guys might be someone that you have to turn to this uh, this week, whether it's him or Javante. So let's talk about the Browns, though. Last week, Baker Mayfield has a Hail Mary at the end of the half that traveled 66.4 yards in the air. And according to Next Gen Stats, that is the longest uh, through-the-air pass that was completed since they started tracking that stat. Um, unfortunately for the Browns, they got demolished by the Arizona Cardinals. And Baker has a dislocated shoulder for the second time this season. And, of course, we discussed the injuries to their running back room. Now, this week, the main thing the Browns have to do is not turn the ball over. They turned it over three times offensively last week. The defense needs to bounce back and try to get after Teddy Bridgewater. I think that, you know, they obviously have the talent there to do it. Garrett leads the league with eight sacks. There are three running backs on the roster who could get some carries, um, but I really don't want to start any of them um, or waste a waiver wire pick unless I'm really in desperation mode. I think that you might get a few points for one game, but the issue always becomes who are you going to drop? Like, sure, you could pick up Johnson. You could, you know, maybe flex him in. But again, who are you willing to drop? And I'm just, there's not many players on my team that I'm willing to drop at this point. But speaking of having something to drop, I hope you're dropping some money on my bookie with us. When it comes to gambling, you always want to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. That's why I always bet with my bookie. At my bookie, you can bet on all your favorite sports with exclusive promotions, contests, and more to find your winning bet. Right now, when you make your first deposit with my bookie, you'll instantly receive double your first deposit. It's easy. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up, and use my promo code Regulators, and my bookie will double your first deposit instantly up to $1,000. How's that for fast money? Use your extra funds to bet on this week's biggest games, including the battle between the Chiefs and the Titans, where airmail offense takes on smash-mouth football. Look for the score to run up quickly, so bet the over. This promotion is only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Head to mybookie.ag and use my promo code REGULATORS and secure your double deposit bonus today. That's promo code REGULATORS, so you can double your funds to double your winnings. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. So let's talk about this Kansas City-Tennessee matchup, right? The Chiefs are coming in at 3-3, three and three, which is obviously, you know, a surprise to them and most around the league. Uh, they didn't think they would find themselves sitting at 500 at this point in the season. They are uh, taking on the Titans, who are 4-2, and two, coming off of that impressive win over Buffalo. And again, we mentioned the over. The over is sitting at 56.5, and I'm taking the over on this one. I think this is going to be a very high-scoring game. And I'm also taking Tennessee to actually cover the 5.5 points on this one. I think that originally uh, Casey was favored by 4, and then I think it moved a little bit. Um, now it's 5.5, but I like Tennessee to cover this one. I think that last week, 
you know, Kansas City came from behind to knock off the Washington football team. 400 yards for Mahomes, I get it, but they still turn the ball over three times. Offensively, they are at the bottom of the league, turning over the ball 22.8% of their drives. That's the worst in the NFL. They cannot continue to do that because against good teams, that's going to bite them. Um, Kelsey and Hill obviously still did their thing. You guys know when it comes to fantasy, there's not too many questions that everyone has there. If CEH is, you know, sitting on your IR slot or somewhere and you have to put Williams in, then, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But overall, the Kansas City offense is never going to be the problem. It's their defense. And their defense played better last week, but let's see how they handle a team with a winning record. You know, let's see what happens against Derrick Henry, who is no J.D. McKissick. I mean, that boy good. He good. Um, one of the things that the Titans has going in their favor is the last 10 teams to win Monday night football dating back uh, to last season are 10 and0 in their next game. So will they make it to 11 and0? We'll find out. Ryan Tannehill averages 14.4 yards a scramble, which is best in the NFL. So when he gets off script, he can make you pay. Um, he's still, I believe the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. And that's one of the things that, you know, they have to try to limit the sacks a little bit. And obviously the injury to Taylor on, uh, this past Monday night is not going to help things. Uh, it's definitely going to hurt more than it will help. But, um, for the Titans, you know, more the same, like they did on Monday night, keep the ball away from Mahomes, limit the amount of drives that they have their opportunity to score and then you just got to kind of get lucky here or there on one or two drives and Tennessee definitely has a chance in this game especially because of how bad the Chiefs defense is Tennessee has a chance I think Kansas City probably still pulls it out but I definitely like Tennessee to make it competitive and at least cover the spread um Speaking of bad defenses, we have the Washington football team at 2-4 and four taking on the Green Bay Packers at 5-1. and one. Now, this is a giant spread. You know how I feel about these big spreads. Green Bay is favored by 9.5 in this. And I went back and forth, but I'm going to take the 9.5 points um, for Green Bay. I'll, I'll lay the 9.5 points, excuse me, with the Packers. I think that Washington is just so far and away below the talent level of what the Packers have. You know, last week they got up on the Chiefs early, but that 32nd ranked defense obviously couldn't hold, and we know what the end result was. McKissick cannot be your leading receiver on offense. They have to get Terry involved. If McLaren's not getting the ball, then there's there's a problem there. They could obviously use a healthy Logan Thomas, and hopefully he comes back, but you know, in the meantime, Seals Jones is a decent flex option for tight end if you need a tight end due to bye weeks and injuries and things like that. With Green Bay, man, you know, you, we, you, we go back to this barrage of middle fingers um, that was given to Aaron Rodgers. And obviously, we know the quote, you know, he was on the sidelines after he scored, you know, talking to the Bears fans saying, I've owned you. I've owned you all my fucking life. I still own you, which he does. 
22 and 5 all time against the Bears. So he's not lying. Um, but I ha- I have no problem with what he said. I have a much bigger problem of the double number one salutes, you know, that he was getting. So, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't have to be that impressive last week. As much as he owned the Bears, he only threw for 195 yards. He had the two touchdowns through the air. Um, Obviously, you know, he ran one in as well there. No interceptions. 17 of 23. Very clean day, but he just didn't have to do much um, because the Bears are so below mediocre that it wasn't even a challenge. This week, I think... Aaron Rodgers is going to paint a masterpiece against the Washington D, and he's going to move the team to 6-1. and one. If you are in a deeper league, just find a Green Bay Packer and put them in. Lazard, Dylan, it doesn't matter. If they activate MVS off of IR, possibly, but just find a Green Bay Packer and put them in because they're going to get points. Like I said, if you're in a deep, deep league and you have nowhere else to go and there's a Packer available... Get them into your lineup. Um, Some people you would love to have in your lineup right now are obviously Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. We've got the Cincinnati Bengals at 4-2, taking on the Baltimore Ravens at 5-1. And And be honest, like who had both of these teams sitting at this record and making this such an important game in Week 7? I think it's, it's awesome, you know, and I think that, you know, for me... Uh, Baltimore's favored by six in this game. I'll take Baltimore to cover, but if you can buy a point and you can get to five, that makes it even sexier for me, which, you know, if you use my bookie, you know that you can buy points. So you can go on there when you make your bet, you fill out your ticket and you can buy a half point, a point, point and a half, two, two and a half. You you understand. Um, But I would try to buy a point or again, if the line moves for some reason and you can get it at five, that's even better. Burrow is growing. 19 of 29 last week, 271 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And again, Mixon and Chase are just going to eat every week. You've got the second best red zone scoring team in the NFL with the Bengals. But just like I mentioned with Tannehill, Joe Burrow is still one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL. So obviously everybody will forever talk about was Jamar Chase the right pick, was... uh, Rashawn Slater, you know, should they have taken an offensive lineman there? And we will always compare those two players. But at worst, you know, it was a wash. I mean, your hope is that Jamar Chase becomes an elite wide receiver. And he's a rookie, okay? So let's not crown him just yet. But obviously, he's doing amazing things on the football field. Having said that, when you're one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL... You can also still look at that and say, okay, well, what's the drop-off from a Jamar Chase to a Tyler Boyd or a T. Higgins? And then what's the upgrade from being one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL to maybe not being in the top 10? Uh, So those are things that people will always look at. But for the Bengals this week, they need to prove that 4-2 and isn't a fluke. They need to go beat the division leader. Um, Boyd feels due, man. Like, this is just a hunch. You know, this is just how I feel, but I know he was quiet and it just feels like it's, he's due. He's, he's due for a big game. It's obviously a high risk if you roll with him, but the payoff could be nice. 
and they will obviously need to score points to keep up with the Ravens. Speaking of the Ravens, you know, they handled the Chargers last week and Justin Herbert. They've established themselves as a Super Bowl contender. Six ball carriers for 187 rushing yards last week. It looked like my 2017 fantasy team scoring all night. You had Bell, Murray, Freeman. Everybody was getting in the end zone. Um, This week, listen, in addition to the run game that they have, you're number one in the NFL in intended air yardage. You're number one in completed air yardage per throw. Like, don't change anything that you're doing. Keep pushing the ball down the field and keep them guessing because when you can hurt teams from every single side, it's very hard for them to figure out. Remember, everyone was going to figure out Lamar. Everyone was going to figure it out. Well, nobody has figured it the fuck out, and defenses have zero answer for the Ravens right now. So if the defense figures it out, if the Ravens defense figures it out, then I really don't see a team threatening them in the AFC. Buffalo and Tennessee can, you know, rumble, but if the Ravens defense does their thing, it will be too much for either of those two. And that's a big if. That defense obviously has a long way to go. Buffalo has the better defense right now. Um, You know, maybe we know the problems that Tennessee has, but it's a big if. But if the Ravens D can get their shit together, then this team is going to be very, very difficult to stop in the AFC and moving through the playoffs. So a couple of teams that I don't see making the playoffs are the Carolina Panthers and the New York Giants. Now, Carolina Panthers are sitting at 3-3. and They're favored by 2.5 points in this game. I do like them. Uh, I will lay the 2.5 points against the Giants, and the Giants are sitting at 1-5. and For the Panthers, what have we talked about? Hold on. Medicine break. Um, What have we talked about with Darnold? This is the Darnold we know, right? This is the Darnold we love. This is why we couldn't understand why you jettison a Teddy Bridgewater and make this trade of multiple picks to get Sam Darnold. Now, Sam Darnold has six interceptions and a fumble in his last three games. Now, they almost climbed back against Minnesota, but ultimately, they couldn't. And if you didn't have all the turnovers and the other things in the beginning of the game, you wouldn't have had to climb back in last minute. So... CMC to IR is a killer. That obviously is going to hurt Sam Darnold more than anything and the Panthers as a whole. This week, my advice to them is to feed Chuba. Don't put the game on Sam's shoulders. As far as wide receivers in fantasy, it's anyone's guess because, again, I just don't trust Sam Darnold. And I I feel there are better options out there for you. Um than having to roll with one of the Panthers' wide receivers this week. But depends on your own particular league. Let's talk about the Giants. Booker and Tony did not reward fantasy owners. Obviously, Tony re-aggravated that ankle injury that he had. Daniel Jones has the lowest touchdown percentage in the NFL on his throws, which means it's going to be very hard to score points, even with a Kadarius Tony, even with... Any of those healthy wide receivers, if they ever get healthy, um, I'm not even sure if they have enough people to field a team at this point. Your top running back is hurt. Your top three wide receivers, your quarterback's all banged up, recovering from a concussion. It's going to be very difficult from a fantasy point until at least Saquon comes back to have any kind of real 
relevance there where I would feel safe starting someone on my fantasy team for the Giants. Now, a team that definitely has some people that I would start on my fantasy team is the Atlanta Falcons. Two and three, not the start that they wanted, and it's going to be a long year for them, but they're taking on the Miami Dolphins at one and five who are kind of in a similar situation. Now, last week, Atlanta was on bye, but this week, you're taking on Miami, who has the second worst defense in the league. Attack, attack, attack. They will struggle with Kyle Pitts. If you move him around, he's going to end up on linebackers. Miami doesn't adjust well to a lot of that shit, and so I think Pitts is going to have a huge game. I think Cordero Patterson is going to have a huge game. He could be a nightmare for Miami. And already, remember, this defense is easier to score on than a CNA at a bar the night after her shift. So don't let Miami force you to make mistakes. Matt Ryan should just embarrass this defense if he has anything left in the tank whatsoever. Now on Miami's side of the ball, it's falling apart really quick. You had a coach take over a team in a full rebuild. They ate a bunch of money to get rid of bad contracts. They moved pieces, and they finished year one winning five of their last nine games. Year two, their defense is lights out, and they win 10 games with a ho-hum offense that doesn't scare anyone. Year three, they have shit the bed worse than a toddler after an all-you-can-eat chili festival. The silver lining, though, and it's hard to find them, but the silver lining, though, is I will say... Tua in his first game back, 33 of 47, 329 yards, two touchdowns and the one interception, 431 yards of offense, zero sacks allowed. You know, those were some good things that you saw. You saw a lot of emotion out of these players. That was something I was very, very happy to see. They have not quit on this team, you know, which says a lot. And ultimately, they obviously weren't converting enough of their yards to points, and the defense couldn't stop Jacksonville in the critical moments. But I love to see the emotion. I love to see that these guys are still fighting. I love to see that Tua was yanking up Mac Hollins out of jabbing with uh, another player and saying, "Get your ass back in the huddle." Like you know, like I, there, there's a lot of things you look for for the future. And I'm sorry, but that's where you're at, Dolphins fans. You're looking at the future because. It's not going to be a great rest of the season, and it's not going to be a great off season. So there's going to be a lot of changes. In I'm not even going to say an unless there's going to be a lot of changes, and the season is is not going to go very very well. But I would love to see Tua and the offense continue to build on things. I would love to see the Waddle and the Gesicki connection continue to grow, and I would love to see the coaching staff prove some semblance of competence. That would be nice. But this week, the only thing you're watching for out of the Dolphins is every guy to a man has to do his job. Throw to Mike Gesicki 15 times. I mean, I really don't care, but we are going to find out one way or the other a lot about this team after this game is over. We will see what the locker room is about. So another team that is trying to build on the locker room, on the culture, is the New York Jets. The Jets are 1-4, obviously not the start that they wanted, and they are taking on the New England Patriots at 2-4. New England is favored by 7 in this game. If you can, buy a half point. If you can get New England at 6.5, I love it, which, by the way, I didn't mention the spread. 
on the Miami game. It's actually Atlanta by two and a half, and I'm a homer. I have emotional problems, and I'm too loyal, so I'm going to take Miami to cover the two and a half, but I'm telling you that that is an emotional response, and that is a homer bet as fuck. So I am not advising any of you to do it. I will take the L on my spreadsheet, and I will take my L in my wallet, but I got to go out how I got to go out, so it is what it is. But let's get back to this other AFC East matchup. The Jets were on a bye last week. This week, what do you want me to say? You have the worst offense. Zach Wilson has the second worst completion percentage, which, by the way, the four worst completion percentages in the NFLs in the NFL are all rookies. Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Fields, and Lance. Because this is what rookies look like. The Justin Herberts are exceptions to the rule. And the Patrick Mahomes, remember, Patrick Mahomes played one game his rookie season at the end of the year. Like, there are very rare exceptions to the rule. But in general, this is what rookies look like. So, everybody who wants this, you know, immediate, fast now, like, it doesn't work like that. Once in a blue moon, you get lucky, but the rest of it is still there. It's still underneath the surface. So let's give all these guys, you know, a little bit of room, and let's see what they do with it. Talking about rookies, obviously you've got another one on the other side of the ball with the Patriots. They lost a tough one last week to Dallas. They're now 0-4 at home this year, which just seems unheard of that the Patriots would be 0-4 in that stadium. But... Max still kind of has some training wheels on. You can tell by the plays that they're calling on offense. But having said that, he was 15 of 21, 229 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. A lot of that yardage coming on a big play at the end of the game. But he has grit, and I'm very intrigued. 71.1 completion percentage is the fourth best in the NFL right now. We know that he's not pushing the ball down the field aggressively very often that one play towards the end of the game he's very lucky the safety took a horrific angle and didn't pick that shit off but I still I see what they see I see the potential in Mac Jones and I see a lot of things there that you can build on especially in a Belichick type system so I'm very intrigued as I mentioned the one thing that Mac Jones can't do and the Patriots can't do is they can't keep turning the ball over They have the third worst offensive turnover rate in the NFL and the third worst red zone uh, scoring percentage in the NFL. So those are two things that they really have to figure out how to drastically improve on as they move forward. Now, drink break. I get so long-winded I forget to come up for rum. But... Philadelphia Eagles, 2-4, and four, taking on the Las Vegas Raiders at 4-2. and two. Listen, man, I said it last week. I said, I don't know. Could be one of those weird games where the coach is gone, there's a feeling in the locker room, we're going to go out and do this for us, and Vegas did what I needed them to do, so I appreciate them. But I'm not putting a bet this week. Vegas is uh, projected to win by three, and... Both of these two teams for me are too close overall to where I I can't see myself putting money down on this one. Now, last week, you know, Hertz is doing great things in fantasy. He's money near the goal line. In the games, though, in real life, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a struggle. Last week, 
12 of 26, 115 yards, one touchdown, one pick. That's nothing to write home about. 10 carries for him cannot be the formula. He cannot carry the ball 10 times a game, and that's going to be a recipe for success. And don't come at me with the Lamar Jackson things because Jalen Hurts is nowhere near Lamar Jackson, and that's not to say he can't be there or he can't get there, and I hope he does, but he is not anywhere near uh, that range right now. So having the most penalties in the NFL is obviously another bugaboo, something that's really going to haunt the Eagles until they can get that under control. That's something that, you know, as a new coach of a new team, you can't let that get away from you. You really got to make sure that the team becomes more disciplined. You know, it's one thing to have penalties, and sometimes the refs screw you or things are ticky-tack, but when you have the most in the NFL, that's, that's not an accident. Like, guys aren't doing things right. So this week, um, obviously, we didn't get to talk about it last week because I think it happened right after, but uh, Ertz got traded, you know, to the Arizona Cardinals, so Goddard could have some value if he can stay healthy. On the Raiders' side of the ball, Man, they delivered after a tumultuous week. They handled the Broncos. Derek Carr went for 341 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and 8.2 yards per play in week six, which I think was the most um, in the NFL. I'd have to double check, but you know they just they couldn't be stopped offensively. And that was the thing that we saw going early in the season was Derek Carr picking up where he left off. Uh, last year before he got hurt when he was on an MVP-type run. So this week, we'll see if we can get more of the same out of the Raiders. You know, their rushing game is something they'd really love to get going. But while we're talking about the rushing game, just to go back to the Eagles for a second, I'm still on this, like, why do the Eagles hate Miles Sanders? Miles Sanders has rushed for positive yards on 98.2% of his carries, which is the best in the NFL. And he also has the highest broken tackle rate in the NFL. Why do they not get the ball into his hands any time that they can? I will never know, and I will never understand it. But no bet for me on this one. A bet I will take is our next game, which is the Detroit Lions at 0-6 taking on the LA Rams and the Rams are favored by 15 in this one and they should be they should be for a lot of reasons and this is one of those bets I wrestle with and it may come back to haunt me but I feel like even if the Lions don't win at some point this year they gotta cover the spread sooner or later and 15 points is big so I'm gonna take Detroit to actually cover the 15 points um I don't think the win, but I think garbage time, they could get within 14 maybe, and that could happen. Last week, they took another L by over 20 points, which should tell me not to bet the lines in this one to cover, but they lost to Cincinnati. They'll obviously get handled in this game, but listen, you got to risk it for the biscuit, so I'm in at plus 15. I think that biggest thing that just blows my mind with the Lions offense is 3.9 air yards per completion which is the worst in the NFL like they're not even trying like they're not even trying and now with Cephas hurt 
Hawkinson is really your only real target right now. Defenses know that. I understand they're going to try to bottle him up, but you you have to do something. Um, on the other side, their former quarterback is doing great things. Matt Stafford, 22 of 28 last week, 251 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, cup-bodied people in fantasy. Nine catches, 130 yards. And if you don't think Matt will be a little extra hype for this, you know, against the team that he would have loved to stay at his entire career but never put the pieces around him and never just could get a complete team going, he is going to be lit for this game. I see this as possibly a five-touchdown game, maybe four through the air, and maybe he runs in for one. But like I said, if Detroit can find a way to score three touchdowns and a field goal, hey, I'm about it. Um, this week, I think that from a fantasy perspective, even though Stafford's going to go off and you know, if you have wide receivers with the Rams, you're going to put them in. I think if you're in between Henderson and someone else, I think Henderson is going to get his too, and he'll get plenty through the past game. It'll happen. So don't feel any type of way about putting Henderson in. Um, it was nice to see the Rams D show up after they literally screwed me every single week in fantasy this year and they were relegated to the waiver wire because I just I had to make a decision call and I had so many other needs to fill and I just I had to do it and you know then they finally showed up and now they'll probably enjoy themselves on someone else's team who wins the fantasy championship this year but I'm gonna be positive I'm gonna stay positive so Talking about a team that's got to try really hard to stay positive is the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears are 3-3. Three and three. They're taking on Tampa in Tampa. And Buccaneers are 5-1, and one, not slowing down anytime soon. They're favored by 12.5 in this one. And yeah, I'm going to take the 12.5. I'm going to actually uh, I'll lay it from Tampa Bay's side. And I think they'll cover the twenty, the twelve and a half. I think this is your your easiest money line pick of the week, which is why it's sitting at minus seven fifty. But if you just, you know, want to make a little bit of money, put something on money line Tampa Bay. I mean, that's that's just like free money right there. So I'll take Tampa Bay to cover the twelve and a half. I'm not squeamish about it, just because the Bears are so abysmal. I mean, last week. Fields look like a rookie. He has the worst completion percentage in the National Football League. He's nothing special yet. Doesn't mean he can't. Khalil Herbert had over 100 all-purpose yards, so that rewarded people who picked him up. Obviously, with the David Montgomery injury, that was nice if you had to flex him in. But 700 yards passing in six games. I mean, literally, Derrick Henry has more rushing yards than the Bears team has passing yards. Like, let that sink in. That's really disturbing. So, you've got 700 yards passing in six games, whereas the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who you're facing, have over 2,000 yards passing. Huge disparity there. The Bears average 16 points a game. Tampa Bay averages 32 points a game. You do the math. So, that's why I think I'm safe at 12 and a half. Anything can happen. It's the National Football League but I think I'm safe at 12 and a half, and I don't mind. Now, the Bucks, unfortunately, against certain teams, are letting them hang around. They're still getting the Ws, 
And then last week, Fournette, over 120 all-purpose yards, two touchdowns. A.B., nine catches, 93 yards, two touchdowns. I feel like Michael Scott. I'm ready to get hurt again. Let's put Lenny in the lineup on a team that is 28th in rushing in the National Football League. Leonard Fournette has still restored my confidence enough to where I feel comfortable. I won't say comfortable. Comfortable is a stretch. I feel able to put him in the lineup. So if you have better options, obviously take it. But he's just doing too much with his opportunities for them to keep him off the field. And I feel that's a very competent coaching staff. So I think they are going to continue to get him the ball. This week for the Buccaneers, just let it fly and get out healthy, man. Like You just want to get out of this game with no injuries. You know you're going to get the dub. Work on your discipline. Being third worst in penalties will bite you in the end. And for a Super Bowl caliber team, I know they had issues last year as well, but you don't want to just have to overcome those mistakes time and time again. So that's something that they need to work on. Talk about a team that needs to work on a lot, and that is the Houston Texans at 1-5. and five. So they're taking on the Arizona Cardinals at 6-0, and oh, and this is going to be another bloodbath. Arizona's favored by 8 in this point and normally I don't even take spreads anywhere near double digits um, and I'm going to shy away from this one because this is getting to college line and I get it listen how much worse can it get for the Texans well we're about to find out they do have the second worst offense in the league and they're going against the number four offense in the league so sure there's going to be a disparity of points there but it's still the nfl anything can happen you saw how washington jumped out to a lead on the chiefs so i don't trust 18 points that's huge in the nfl and i thought about taking houston to cover but every time i take houston to cover they fuck me so i know that by me not taking it they might actually cover it and so that's why i just I'm not going to bet this game. I will take Arizona Moneyline and tie that into a bunch of parlays, which don't forget at the end of every episode, four-way, eight-way parlays that we announce before we let you guys get out of here. But with this game, you know, I do think that from a fantasy perspective, Cooks is going to have a decent game, so you can start him with no hesitation. They're going to have to try to keep up with Arizona, and as much as there might be picks thrown, there's also going to be a lot of yardage. Um, so with the Arizona Cardinals, they clowned the Browns last week. They're still undefeated, and now they have Ertz available to them this week. So I think that their offense should just completely dominate the Texans, and Vegas agrees, hence why it's an 18-point spread and another easy money line. So, I mean, if you just took the Buccaneers and the Cardinals' money line and tied that into something, again, practically free money. So that brings us to Sunday night football. Sunday night football, you have the Indianapolis Colts at 2-4 and four, taking on the San Francisco 49ers at 2-3. and three. Now, San Fran is favored by 3.5 in this game, and I'm shocked that I'm not taking a Sunday night football spread because it always adds juice to me. But there's, there's no bet. I don't like it. I'm, I might take San Francisco in a pick em if I'm pressed uh, or you're in a survival pool or something like that. But I'm not taking a bet uh, with this one. I just don't like how it sits. The Colts, you know, Jonathan Taylor last week, 14 carries, 145 yards. Excellent showing. And Wentz did his thing. 
Hilton is back, four catches, 80 yards. Even Mo Alley Cox got in the end zone. Possible tight end flex if you need someone there. They are, however, the second worst red zone scoring team in the National Football League, and that always makes it tough in fantasy. So outside of Jonathan Taylor, there's really no sure bets uh, that people are going to get their points. Now, if you're in a PPR league, you know, that might help a little bit. Um, But, you know, one thing Indy does have going for them is they are the least penalized team in the National Football League. So they're going to look to continue to play defensive, uh, disciplined ball, rely on Jonathan Taylor, and obviously try to catch San Francisco coming off the bye week, you know, just off by a step. Unfortunately for them, Jimmy G looks like he's going to be good to go, and the San Francisco 49ers have the third best red zone scoring percentage in the league. So when they get down there, they score points and they score touchdowns. Um, They also have the best yards after catch per completion of anybody in that NFL, and I'm sick of the drama over Brandon Ayuk, like, just feed him. Just just fucking get him the ball. I don't care. I don't, I mean, I, listen, you know, we know that with T.O. and with some of these guys, you know, there's there's been issues. And I'm not saying Brandon Ayuk has done anything like what those players have done or the intention that they brought or the drama or anything else like that. I'm just saying you still got to feed your, your players. While they're on your team, while they are on your team, you need to feed your players, your special players, and Brandon Ayuk is very special, so they need to get him the ball any way that they can. Um, Monday Night Football, New Orleans Saints, three and two, taking on the Seattle Seahawks at two and four. This is another one where, again, I'm surprised. No juice for me for Monday Night Football. Um, I might be pressed to take Seattle and pick them, even though they're the dog. Uh, they are favored by five, the, I'm sorry, the Saints are favored by five points in this one, and I could see Seattle, I almost, I almost took Seattle plus five, it's alluring to me, I think it's possible just because of the way they run the ball, um, but I just don't trust them as much as I trust the Saints, I mean, let's look at the Saints, they want to buy last week, but they head into this game with the number one red zone offense in the National Football League. 92.9% of their drives inside the red zone result in a touchdown. So that's that's hard to deal with. Um, this week, you know, the Saints, really they got to get their field goal situation under control. They could definitely use a healthy Will Lutz at this point because they've only made one field goal this year out of four attempts, and they missed two extra points. So that's... That's kind of their one area that it's like, oh, if it comes down to a game time field goal at the end of regulation, that that could be an issue. On Seattle's side, let's talk about what I like. Alex Collins looked like beast mode out there. I mean, the Seattle offensive line was possessed, and every time they handed the ball off, somebody was getting 10 yards. It was just crazy. The issue, as we know is the defense. So going into last week's game, Seattle had allowed four straight games of 450 yards or more of offense, which was tied for an NFL record. And I thought they might break it last week, but they didn't. Um, They didn't allow that many yards. But still still not great. And yes, I know all the memes about Jamal Adams and the ball hit him in the head and, you know, he didn't catch and, and whatever. 
Um, but the defense is obviously a concern for Seattle, which is why I think New Orleans gets it done. I just don't like the spread for me personally. But the one thing that Seattle has to find a way to do better, obviously their run blocking was amazing. And like I said, Alex Collins looked like Marshawn Lynch out there. But Geno Smith only had 1.3 seconds between the snap and when either he threw the ball or the pocket collapsed last week. And that is the lowest in the NFL. You can't have 1.3 seconds to make a decision and get rid of the ball. So that's concerning, and especially going against Sean Payton, which I love, you know, Sean Payton and Pete Carroll matchup. Like, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great game, and I'm stoked that it's on Monday Night Football. Just not taking the action. But those are all of our games. Let me hit you with the parlays. I'm going to go two different routes this week. So I told you about the easy money, right? I told you about the Rams, the Bucks. So here's what we're going to do for our four-way parlay. We're going to go four-way money line. So Green Bay, the Rams, the Buccaneers, and the Saints. All four money line parlay. Now, obviously, your payout won't be huge the way it normally is in a multi-team parlay because all of those teams are not only favored to win, but they're favored to win by a landslide. However, money is money. It's all green, and you can spend it at all the same places. So that's your four-way team parlay. Feel pretty comfortable about that one. That one's one that, you know, normally you don't throw a lot of money on parlays. Remember, we're killing it against the spread. You bet everything individually. You'll stay ahead. That's what we do. But parlays are things for fun. You got a little bit of extra cash. You throw it in, and if and when you hit one, it's amazing because the payouts are usually ridiculous returns. So if you got an extra 5 bucks, you got an extra 10 bucks, or you what? I, I don't know the way you're checking in your savings account is set up. I don't know what you have going. But you know, if you wanted to throw in a four-way parlay, this would be the four-way parlay that I would probably make a move on and say, all right, let's tie these four teams. This, this seems like pretty much a lock to get done. Now, that'll move us to our eight-team super parlay. Now, this one's going to be a little bit trickier to pull off, but obviously the odds are much, much more in your favor if you get the win. So here's what we've got. The Browns' money line, the Packers' money line, the Rams' money line, the Cardinals' money line, the Seahawks' money line, the Dolphins' money line, and then here's what I'm doing with San Francisco and Tampa Bay. So San Francisco is a three-and-a-half point uh, favorite there, and I'm going to actually buy the points down. I'm going to buy three points, so down from three-and-a-half to point five. So if you're familiar if you use my bookie when you go on there you can always buy points when you're looking at your betting slip there's an option where you can buy half a point a point etc so again san francisco is favored by three and a half points but i'm gonna actually buy it down to half a point so that they only need to basically win you know so one point seals the deal and then i'm gonna do the same thing with the tampa bay bucks so I'm going to actually buy them down to nine and a half points. So I'm going to buy three points 
and get them at minus nine and a half. So again, to tie this whole eight-team super parlay together, Cleveland money line, Green Bay money line, L.A. Rams money line, Miami Dolphins money line, Cardinals money line, Seattle Seahawks money line, and then San Francisco 49ers get it down to a half point, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get them down to nine and a half point favorites. And that's going to be my eight-team parlay for this week. In closing, be the light, folks. Be the change that you want to see in any capacity. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with us. If you send this podcast to one friend today, it would completely make my day. We are out here working in these streets, I promise you. Come find us on Twitter and join the revolution. Say it with your chest. Let's go, baby. Regulators!